developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. This is the Seahawkers podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz of the Military Seahawkers. And joining me to talk about Combine Day One is Rob Staten of SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Rob, how you doing? Great, Brandon. Really, uh, really pleased to be doing this podcast every day during the Combine and, and just sort of reviewing uh, what we've seen. And today was a very interesting day, a good start to the Combine for 2019. Yeah, this is going to be fun to, to do it day by day over the weekend. And before we get into the offensive linemen, the running backs, uh, let's talk about the big news item that came out of uh, these first couple days of the combine, because you know, a lot of people meet early on in the week, the reporters, especially they get to meet with John Schneider. They get to meet with Pete Carroll. And one of the most interesting things I thought that came out of uh, the news this week was the ownership structure for the Seahawks, Jody Allen taking the chair for the Paul Allen foundation. That's kind of in control of the team. And, and essentially the biggest news was the Seahawks aren't for sale and they've decided on how things are going to go moving forward from here. Yeah. Which I think is a good thing because the, the last thing you want is that, um, that question mark about what's going to happen with the team. And it, it may not be a question mark right now because we're all focusing on the combine and then it'll be free agency and then it'll be the draft. But what you're going to talk about in June and July when all of that's gone, you're probably going to start thinking about what's happening with the ownership. So to have some clarity there on exactly what's going on for the fans not to be left wondering who's going to be owning this team in the next couple of years because the Seahawks had a really good thing with Paul, Paul Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of bad NFL owners. And the last thing you want is somebody coming in who has got very different ideas uh, to Paul and, and changing things for the worse. Uh, I think it's good that Jody Allen's going to try and keep that that just that thing's ticking along. She was very decisive in giving Pete Carroll his contract extension at the end of the season, which was a move that I think was really good and just eliminate any doubt there. Um, so just just carry on. I think it's a good thing. I think the Seahawks are, have got a good coach, a good GM, and um, an ownership structure that, that has been working. So no need to change anything. Yes, this feels like a lot less worrisome of an option compared to if a new owner comes in who you don't know if he's going to be, you know, a Jerry Jones type owner, a Daniel Steiner type owner. And uh, now it feels like, uh, yeah, there's some stability. That's it. That's, that's the word that's really the key here, stability. And just enabling this team to focus on winning championships with the right people running the football side of things. And I'm, I'm convinced that Paul Allen will have, will have before his, his death, have put the right people in charge of, of his uh, foundation and everything that is just looking after all of his his, uh, his business interests and um, I'm sure that this team will have that stability and this is a good it was a good start to the new uh, to the 2019 season really to hear that news this week indeed well I did mention the John Schneider Pete Carroll press conferences in terms of draft news 
We didn't get a whole lot of direction as to where they might be focusing their search for 2019 leading up to the draft. But we did get confirmation from both of them that Frank Clark is not going anywhere. Yet They have until Tuesday this coming week to put the franchise tag on him. Uh, John Schneider, a little bit coy, saying that you know they haven't used the franchise tag since Alinda Mare in 2010, uh, but they're they're running out of time there. The the key thing was that he wasn't going anywhere. Earl Thomas, on the other hand, uh, it sounds like he's not coming back. Yeah, Earl Thomas is going to move on. Um, whether that's to Dallas, whether that's to San Francisco, or any other horrible team that you're not going to want to watch <laughs> Earl Thomas line up for next year, but that seems like the way it's going to go. With Frank, I think that Brandon Graham signing his deal is evidence that teams meet with agents and, and find information out of the combine. It's not just about the draft, and it enables deals to get done. So who knows? Maybe some, some positive talks this weekend could lead to an extension for Frank Clark, which means they don't have to use the franchise tag. And that could be important, not necessarily for this year, but for next year, because Russell Wilson's going to be a free agent next year. Bobby Wagner's going to be a free agent. Darren Reed's going to be a free agent. And you want to have as many of those, plus Frank Clark, signed for the 2020 season so that you're not risking losing any in free agency. If they get to this point next year and none of these players are signed up, they can only use one franchise tag they're going to lose some serious star quality there. So the more players they can get signed up, including Frank Clark, for the long term, the better. And hopefully a deal will get done. But if not, we all know what's going to happen. And this week, the franchise tag will be placed on Frank Clark. Well, Friday was the first day of workouts, players on the field. And it started off today with the offensive line in, uh, in that first group that we got to see run. It was cool seeing our, our offensive line coach, Mike Solari, out there running some of the drills. Rob, should we start with the trench explosion formula? I know you just posted the results up on SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Um, maybe let's talk about the overall, uh, your overall opinion on this year's 2019 offensive line class just based on their workouts. Well, the headline is it's a more explosive offensive line class than in previous years. We've only been doing this formula for well, this was the fourth draft now. So really, we only have reference to the three previous drafts. But there was an improvement there. We saw players, more players, uh, performing well in the broad, the vertical, and the bench press. Um, there were some very impressive numbers. Um, Iosa uh, Opeta had the the most explosive um, TEF score that we've ever recorded with a 3.62. Did very well in the bench press, which really pumped up his score. Uh, but then you see some of the other big names all recorded explosive testing. Um, Chris Lindstrom had a great uh, combine. Garrett Bradbury is expected to go in the first round, had a great combine. Andre Dillard had a superb combine. And then you've got guys like Caleb McGarry at Washington, Eric McCoy, Elton Jenkins. A lot of the names that people thought were going to go early all tested well in TEF. Um, overall, there were eight players who scored what would be sort of the, the 3.00, which is what we say is an explosive score. Eight players scored that or higher. There was one player, Michael Jordan, who scored a 299. You're never going to get any closer to a, a 300. So if you want to include him in it as well, feel free. Uh, a number of the, the bigger names didn't even work out. So you've got players uh, like Joan Taylor and Ben Powers uh, who didn't perform. There was a couple of guys, Josh Nyman and Conor McGovern, who for some reason neither did the vertical jump, but both did very well in the broad and the bench. If they'd done a vertical, we would have added th their names uh, to the list as well. Yodnik Kajus was expected to test well, didn't do anything except uh, the drills. And Tumor Adoga and, and, and Bobby Evans and people like that, Martis Ivy, didn't do any of the explosive testing drills. So, yeah, there was eight guys who tested very highly in TEF. Could have been 
as many as three or four more. And that is a major difference compared to the seven that we had last year, the three in 2017 and the six in 2016. I'm not sure whether we can, it's probably a bit too early to say that this is evidence that college football and the league is maybe changing and that we are starting to see more explosive offensive linemen coming into the league after a huge drought for many years, which created this discrepancy between defensive and offensive linemen. But it's a positive sign. This was a much more explosive uh, group of offensive line testers today. Well, one guy I know who was pretty excited about Eric McCoy and how he performed uh, being an offensive lineman out of Texas A&M, Jermaine Effetti, hyping up his his own guy on Twitter. Eric McCoy had a great workout. Um, he didn't do so well in the agility testing, but in terms of the drills, looked very athletic. He had an explosive uh, day in terms of the broad jump and the vertical, and he looked every bit a, a top 50 top 60 type of pick i think that there's every chance that he's going to be off the board by the end of round two and i think there's the great thing about this class overall with the offensive lineman is i think people like andre dillard have secured their place in the top 15 and perhaps we'll talk a little bit more about him in a second but your jenkins as your lindstrom's mcgarry's uh, Bradbury's are all going to go very early. Then you've got your players like Cody Ford. Didn't have the greatest day in terms of the workout. You still expect them to go early. Greg Little had a really peculiar workout. Did very well in the broad jump, not so well in the vertical. Not sure what happened there. Didn't do particularly well in the drills. You'd still expect him to go relatively early. And there's a few other names as well that are going to go in kind of like that top 50 range. But there's such great depth. You know, in, in rounds three and four, you're going to be able to get a really decent offensive guard. You're going to be able to find an offensive tackle who has got some value that you can maybe develop. One of the guys that I thought just looked the part uh, was Isaiah Prince from Ohio State. Incredibly lean, long, very athletic looking, had a decent testing in terms of the explosive testing as well, uh, and just looked like the kind of guy that I don't know whether he's going to be there in, in between rounds three and five, but if he is, you bring him in, you work with him, you develop him, maybe get him a little bit stronger, and he could be a potential starting uh, tackle for you down the road. So I think it's a, it's a good group of offensive linemen. If you're hoping that the Seahawks are going to draft him for that position this year, you may well be in luck. Pete Carroll's talked about keeping the line together. He wants to re-sign Sweezy and Fluke. We'll see if that happens. If not, they are going to have plenty of options within this draft class in April. Well, you talk about people just in terms of uh, their stature looking impressive. Uh, Derwin Gray was that guy for me, although he didn't show up very well in the testing. I think it was overall, it was a really decent looking group. And some of the guys who've not tested well, I mean, Dalton Reisner, Risner is, is another one um, who, you know, is in a two, eight, three in Teff. His agility testing was kind of okay, but he looks the part, you know, you look at Reisner and you think, you know, you can imagine him starting at guard for, for an NFL team for a long time. He's got the attitude, he's got the length, he's got the frame, looks really good. Um, Drew Sammy is another one, 274, really aggressive interior offensive lineman for Oklahoma. Um, not going to blow you away with a workout, but but looked decent. Titus Howard didn't have a great workout. Cody Ford didn't have a great workout. But you expect these players to go to the next level and play well. Michael Deiter, uh, the guard at Wisconsin, uh, I thought he was going to work out better than he did, but still a very solid player that you may be able to get in and develop. So, listen, we talk about Tef. Tef does not determine who is going to be a good offensive lineman and a bad offensive lineman. It simply highlights who uh, are the explosive testers. The agility testing is equally important. Um, and there were some very interesting short shuttle and three-cone times. Uh, actually, the, the players didn't perform as well in that as they did in the explosive test this year. Uh, but it also comes together and you put a package together. And what the thing to take from this is, 
you know, go and see who performs well, then go back to the tape after the combine and go and watch the games and see if it matches up to what you've seen at the combine. That's the most important thing. A couple of other quick um, points to mention here. Um, Andre Dillard had the second best broad jump by an offensive lineman in the last 10 years. He's in great company. Only Colton Miller's 10-1 was better than his 9-10. Colton Miller had the best uh, broad jump in the last 10 years, ended up going in the top 15 last year as a consequence. Dillard matched Lane Johnson's score in the broad, and he beat out Taylor Lewan and Eric Fisher, who was a former number one overall pick. So when you put him with all those players, and you know teams are going to, if you need an offensive tackle, if you're the Buffalo Bills, and you're saying, we need to protect Josh Allen, we need a left tackle, Andre Dillard is the guy from this class that you're going to go out and draft. So I think it's, it's very likely that the Washington State offensive lineman is going to go in the top 15 now. And Joshua Miles' 36-inch vertical was the best attempt uh, by anybody in the last decade. He beat out Donald Stevenson's 35.5, but he also beat out Terran Armstead, Trent Williams and Lane Johnson, who were just behind him. Caleb McGarry at Washington, a 33.5-inch vertical, is the eighth best by an O-liner in the last decade. Um, and McGarry is somebody who at Washington, it was always Trey Adams who got the attention, was seen as the more athletic, natural left tackle, and McGarry was kind of like a forgotten man in terms of draft stock, and then at the Senior Bowl, he was fantastic, and he's had a great workout today. He's shown to be explosive, hasn't got the length that teams will like, he's got a sub-33-inch arm length, but for me, he's a Breno Giacomini type of player that you stick on the right tackle, he's going to have some whiffs from time to time, but he's going to be a really solid player for the next few years. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Caleb McGarry ends up going in the top 40 after what he did today. Well, he was one when I was watching the mirror drills, he was one of the more impressive guys it, because you see a lot of the guys like their feet coming way off the ground when we're, they're doing the mirror drills and McGarry, it, it didn't even look like his feet were coming off the ground at all. Yeah. And, and it's the thing to look for in that mirror drill is you don't want to see the feet clapping together. You know, that's how you get tripped up. You want to see really good balance. You want to see control, and that was one of the things that he, there was a number of players who, who did well in the mirror drill. I think that my highlight though, and, and it's the one thing that will, I will take from this mirror drill is Dalton Reisner when he was what they call the rabbit, which means you're the guy who has to sort of run from side to side to test the guy who's actually doing the pass protection. Dal- it's almost as if someone bet Dalton Reisner a hundred dollars. If he could go out there and run it like it was the last time he was ever going to run anything in his life. Cause he was sprinting from side to side, changing direction. It was the most aggressive, um, rabbit performance in the mirror drill that I think I've ever seen. And uh, I think, that, you know, you could see the coaches were kind of laughing and, and smiling and one or two were making notes in the background. It's that kind of thing, that kind of intensity and competitiveness and making it hard for the opponent on the other side and trying to prove that you're better. That I just think it was really good from Dalton Rice. And he's not a player that, that really stood out for me on tape, but um, I, I've kind of come away from this combine and the senior bowl as well, in fairness, where he did a few interviews and came across as a really cool guy. Um, I've come away really liking him, and uh, I think wherever he ends up in the in the NFL next time, as long as it's not with one of t- the teams, the NFC West, I'll be keeping an eye on him and rooting for him a little bit. Well, that was a pretty fun moment, but wasn't he going up against Jawan Taylor as well from from Florida on the other side, and he did pretty well to yeah. keep up with him. Yeah, I, I think he, he was going up against Taylor, but I, I kind of wonder if Reisner knew that and thought, so you're the guy who everybody thinks is going to be the first one taken, that you're the guy who's going to be the top 10 pick. I'm going to, uh. I'm going to test you a little <laughs> bit here, and I'm going to run back and forward, and you're going to have to work for this. But I've never seen anybody do that before. Usually guys kind of just slouch through the rabbit drill. You know, they don't make it. I'm not sure whether Jawan Taylor maybe caught up with him after the, it was like, what, what were you doing there, man? You know, <laughs> give, me, give me a break here. You know, I'm trying to, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to impress, but I kind of like that competitive edge from Reisner and uh, it was pretty fun seeing that today. 
Well, you hear from the coaches, too, that you're being evaluated on everything you do. So whether you're the oh, rabbit yeah. or whether you're the guy doing the drill, you're being evaluated. Certainly so. And but it was it was also quite athletic from Reisner as well. And I think that's one of the disappointing things about today is that the three cone and the short shuttle times, you know, the agility, that athletic testing wasn't quite as good. When you look at the three cone times um, last year, Brian O'Neill was ranked first. He ran a 7143 cone. The fastest time we had this year was Garrett Bradbury at a 741. So, you know, like three tenths of a second slower than the top score last year. So not a great performance in terms of agility testing and, and teams do pay attention to that. Um, in terms of the short shuttles, a little better. Andre Dillard was a, was a 4-4-0. If defensive lineman, anything in sort of the four fives is considered exceptional. So for Dillard to run a 4-4-0 at 350 pounds is incredible. It's why he's going to go in the top 15. Uh, it was the sixth best short shuttle by an offensive lineman in the last decade. It matched James Daniels' top time from a year ago. Uh, that was incredibly impressive. Uh, but apart from that, not a great deal to get excited about. Reisner did well in, in the short shuttle, 4-5-2, but he had a bit of practice, as we talked about. Guy Bradbury, 4-5-3, uh, Lindstrom, 4-5-4, Caleb McGarry, 4-5-8. These are all good times. Uh, but there is one name that sticks out to me, Brandon, that I kind of feel like we have to talk about here. And the NFL Network was drooling over Jonah Williams throughout the whole session they kept ref- telling Joe Thomas to go over and interview him. Uh, Mike Solari kept calling him out to to sort of do the uh, to be the, the example, test. right? Yeah, show us how to do the drill. Then just get Jonah out here so he can show us how to do the drill. Everybody seems to rate Jonah Williams highly. You see him in the top ten in a number of mocks. If you don't see him in the top ten, you see him in the first round. And then you look at what he did today. He only ran a 4.79 short shuttle, which was not great. Nowhere near the top 15 times. And he ran an 8.01 second three cone. I mean, that is not the athletic profile of a first round pick, especially when you confer. I mean, we do something called weighted TEF, where we consider how big players are. You know, if you jump a great vertical and abroad at 3.20, that's a lot better than jumping a great vertical and abroad at like 2.95, for example. And um, Jonah Williams has the second worst combination of explosive power and size. So he's not big, he's not explosive, he's not agile, and he's not fast. You know, <laughs> at what point do you say, I'm sorry, but how, how do you put this guy in the first round? You know, if he was a fantastic technician and, and never got beat on tape, you could possibly say, well, that's why he's a first round pick. Throw on the game against Clemson in the national championship and watch Cleland Farrell against him. He gets pushed back. He gets beat. He hasn't got long arms. I find it really hard. I would not feel confident taking Jonah Williams in the first round. I think he'd have to kick inside to center. He was speaking, apparently, at the Combine this week, saying that's he doesn't want to do that. He sees himself as a tackle. He resisted calls at Alabama to move him to center. I think he's a center. I think he's going to have to be a developmental center. And for me, I wouldn't take him in the first round. Well, and he even said himself, you know, talking about moving inside, that he might be terrible moving inside. So he doesn't even have a lot of confidence in his own ability that he might be able to move inside. So it was curious that he was such a, a featured part of it. And maybe we see him falling similarly to Orlando Brown did last year, you know, falling down to the third round and, and being taken there instead. Right. You know, I, I just can't, I don't understand sometimes how certain players get promoted in the way that they do. I mean, I, at no point during last year did I what, I mean, I was pretty consistent on the blog saying that I don't think Jonah Williams is a, is anything like a top 10 pick. And for me, I wouldn't, I, I did several mocks where I didn't even put him in the first round. Um, and, and yet 
consistently people talked about that he's been like the poster child for the for the day one of the combine they've constantly on the on the tv referred to him and, and looked at him and they kept bringing up his numbers compared to joe thomas and making those comparisons they kept encouraging joe thomas who was part of the broadcast like i said to, to comment on him or go and speak to him at the end they had this slightly awkward handshake <laughs> um and, you know they were, it was almost as if they were saying jonah williams is joe thomas but it couldn't be any different i mean in terms of their size the only similarity they've got is they both had kind of short arms but joe thomas was you know the number of three overall pick for a reason and when you actually look at this uh, the the guys who performed today you know there was very little talk of chris lindstrom had a fantastic workout there was very little talk of, of uh, garrett bradbury apart from a bit at the start because daniel jeremiah has been one of his biggest promoters um but that that went away quite quickly and Andre Dillard's going to potentially be the first offensive tackle taken in this draft. He's got the length, he's got the size, he's got the agility, he's got the explosive traits. He's, he's the complete package, really. And, it, you know, I'm surprised that he wasn't getting as much attention and Jonah Williams was, because as I mentioned there, in terms of his physical profile, he ain't a first-round pick. And I, I just wonder whether that is something that's going to change over time, whether we get to April and, and people are going to start talking about him in a more realistic sense. Is a team going to take him in the first round? Are they sold on him for, for whatever reason? I'm not sure. My personal view is, as I've said, not for me and, and, and wouldn't be particularly interested in taking him in, in, in the top 40 or 50, really. Although, you know, you could go back and not too far to Cam Robinson, who, you know, he didn't perform especially well in any of the drills, you know, 26 inch vertical, 106 inch broad jump, uh, a 7.83 cone drill. So he but he was one of those guys that came into the league and, you know, was a, a full time starter early on in his career. So there there are guys that you can look at that say, yeah, they don't perform that well athletically, but they could still they can still play the position. Yeah, I think the thing with Cam Robinson that's that's very different is that he was six six, had thirty five and a half inch arms, and was three hundred and twenty two pounds. So he he got fantastic size, fantastic length. He was a prototype NFL left tackle, and he lasted as long as he did because he didn't quite have the athletic test. Well, he had nowhere near the athletic testing. Really, ran a, a fairly okay. Uh, 40 but his vertical is broad his three cone his short shuttle weren't good uh, there were some character concerns there as well which is another reason why he fell but he he looked like a, a left tackle and at the very least for a team like Jacksonville who want to be physical up front and wanted to run the ball and, and, and sort of set the tone in that way he was a good fit as either a left or right tackle for them uh, with Jonah Williams you look at him what has he got a like 33 inch arms he's he's much smaller he's, he's nowhere near 322 he's he's his height isn't as good. When you watch the tape, you can uh, say Cleveland Farrell was getting into his pads, jolting him backwards. He ended up on his backside on the floor on, on one play because Farrell just got into his frame, shoved him over, does not have that power, does not have that you know insane size that someone like Cam Robinson had. The thing with Cam was that you could uh, you could often beat him with a bit with a speed rush, but if if you try and take him on one v one, you were never going to win that battle. And it's it's one of the reasons why he still went with a relatively high pick, just didn't go top fifteen or anything like that. But he didn't have the the profile to warrant that. And and he had a pretty decent first year in in Jacksonville before getting injured. But you often have to have the profile of an Andre Dillard, Elaine Johnson, and players like that if you're going to go very early. I think Cam Robertson kind of went in the range that most of us expected and, and good for him that he had a, he had a very good first year in the NFL and sadly didn't get to compete this year. Well, one drill that we saw Rob were, where you actually get to see some physicality where they act as a, a pulling lineman. Was there anyone that jumped out to you in, in those drills? 
in the pulling. Um, I think that Garrett Bradbury is certainly uh, the one problem that you have with him is that the size is a bit of an issue. Um, he looks like if you would sort of fear a little bit if he was having to take on either a big hulking nose tackle or even if he was having to take on someone like Aaron Donald because he doesn't have the length and he doesn't have the size but what he does have is very fluid hips and the ability to sort of pull on the outside and sprint um, trying to think you well Andre Dillard looked very good in this Cody Ford uh, I think his huge size moved very very well in those drills Chris Lindstrom um, was always expected to be one of the more athletic offensive linemen within this class that was never a surprise it's a bit of a surprise that he did as well as he did in the explosive testing, but in this in the pulling drills, just looked incredibly fluid, a good athlete. Isaiah Prince that I mentioned a little bit earlier, Eric McCoy did very well in these drills as well. Those are the names that I would sort of highlight from that. But it's a difficult drill because, you know, not every offensive lineman gets out, pulls and sprints downfield 10, 15 yards. They do this and they make them all do this in the drill. Um but some some will naturally be pretty good at that, and others, you know, they're one v one blocking blocking their straight up, especially the guards and centers. They're they're not going to do a lot of movement, uh, especially for power schemes. They're just going to be, you know, trying to obs- absorb the defensive lineman in front of them. Well, you also published on the blog the ten yard splits for the offensive lineman, and again, Andre Dillard, the only guy to break one point seven. Yeah, and and that's important. You know, it's it is a. It, offensive linemen's never going to run 40 yards you know they're not running routes they're not going to be taking on any offensive backs are they so it's that sort of short area quickness I think the explosion I think you hear a lot of things you know people will say what's the most important drill what should we be looking at here and you kind of hear different information um, you know Gil Brandt was saying the other day something like a one seven zero is good for a 10 yard split for defensive linemen you're thinking no 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 it's not you know for an edge it's a one five. And for sort of an inside-out defensive tackle, anything in the one sixes, you would consider to be quite quite an impressive score. Um, so for Andre Dillard at three fifteen, as you say, to to break that time and to get into the into the one sixes, very very impressive. And just another thing that you can kind of add to his building stock. I mean, there was a there was a report from Bob McGinn during the NFL season um, that said that essentially that the league viewed him as the best pass protecting left tackle and that he could be a high pick. And then when you go and watch the tape, you certainly see that. And then at the Senior Bowl, he looked very, very good. And to come to the combine here, and it's one thing to look like the best pass-protecting tackle in a scheme like Washington State's that is wide open, that gets the ball out of the hands of the quarterback very quickly, um, is, is a very extreme spread. It's quite another to actually turn up to the combine and show that actually, yeah, do you know what? You've got traits that compare to the best of the best and the Lane Johnsons and people like that. So I think it's it's a real credit to Andre. I've said a couple of times already, I think that based on his workout today, he's probably going to go in the top 15. So Andre Dillard was impressive. Another guy at the top of the the TEF uh, performance was Ayasu Opeta from Weber State. Now, have you a smaller school guy, but clearly somebody that maybe you want to go back to and see, you know, just how well he performed on tape now. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you're not going to sort of just take the... And Phil Haynes is another one. You know, they, they were the sort of the best TEF testers. Um, but you, you look at these two and you, and you think, yeah, I, I don't know an awful lot about them. I need to go back and see what there is. I'm not sure how much uh, Weber State tape there is on, on YouTube. I'm going to go and see if there's some, though, after this combine and, and just sort of get a good look at him and see if those explosive traits match up and how teams might think about using him at the next level. I have to say, during the drills, I thought he looked a little bit stiff. Um, he wasn't one of the, the the guys who really stood out during the workout, um, but he's tested very well. Now, the TEF test 
it does account for you know the vertical abroad and the bench press and players who do particularly well in the bench press just like if you do excel in either of the other tests can really promote their score. Apera had, I think, 39 reps on the bench, which is an incredible number, and that's really promoted his score here. He's, he's sort of vertical and his broad are very good, but they're not sort of absolutely outstanding. We will see defensive linemen top both those scores. So while he's, he's recorded the best TEF score that we've had uh, since we started doing this in the last four drafts, he's, he's, he's not a, a freak of nature or anything. He's not Christian. He's not the second coming of Christian Sokola here. Um, so I need to go away and, and have a look at some of his tape. I will do the same for Phil Haynes and I'll do the same for one or two others. Well, I've not really had a proper look at Michael Jordan. Um, I think based on his workout today, I would like to do that. Isaiah Prince, again, I'm going to have a, a bit of a further look at him because I thought he stood out. Uh, Froholt, who's at uh, Arkansas, was a player that Tony Pauline has been touting that has, has got a lot of admirers in the league. I'm going to go back and have a good look at him because he's another player that I've not really studied. And this is the good thing about the combine. You're not trying to to figure out who exactly is going to go where and, and just sort of think like that. For some prospects, you can do that, like Andre Dillard, Chris Lindstrom. But for others, it's just about highlighting names that you go back, have a look at and see if they if the, if the workout matches the tape. Michael Jordan was definitely a guy whose name jumped out at me uh, just based on his name. But, you know, the, when we bring it back and talk about Seahawks, if the Seahawks are going to go for an offensive lineman in the first round, I think Cody Ford has to be that guy for me. Just based on some of his workouts. Now, I know he didn't have the best uh, testing. You know, he was pretty average when it comes to broad jump and and some of his other testing drills. But just in terms of his uh, some of the other drills that aren't timed or, or measured necessarily, he looked like he could be a, a player who could be versatile, whether he could play inside a guard, you know, potentially outside a tackle, maybe even over on the left side at tackle. You know, they were commenting on how Ford kind of had that agility to, to play both sides. He's he's an interesting guy for me. Yeah, I think he ticks a lot of boxes. So he's got great size. He's got good length. He's, he, he didn't really show up in the workouts today, but when you actually watch Oklahoma, his agility and his footwork is very good. I've not seen a guy with his size get into a, a pass protection stance better than he has. He gets into it very quickly, um, very balanced, good quick feet, um, almost impossible to beat with speed off the edge at times, plays the inside out very, very well, uses his size and his length to his advantage. And that's why he's been touted as a potential first-round pick. I think that you would have ideally seen a better workout today than he showed. Um, but there's, there's a couple of things to consider with the Seahawks. You've got a huge, enormous right guard who Pete Carroll this week was saying was basically the personality of the team. That had a, he, he said that he had a major impact in pass protection uh, for Russell Wilson. And I think his character and his charisma and his energy and his love of the game was as important as anything he did on the field. Now, replacing that, and if, you, if we're talking about draft them drafting Cody Ford, I think he probably would be with that in mind is going to be very, very difficult. And I'm not sure that they'll want to go down that road. I personally think they will re-sign DJ Fluker. They've got Jordan Simmons as well, who can can be the backup there. And I think that's how they will go. At left guard, do they want size there? Well, you know, they tried Ethan Posick and then they had JR Sweezy play on the left side. They moved JR to that position because they wanted to try him there. Little smaller, more explosive, nasty run blocker. So I, I think that if they're going to move on from, from J.R. Sweezy, then they'll probably look for another player like that. And when I'm looking at this group, it's hard to sort of work out who that could be, you know, whether it, whether Chris Lindstrom is that type, probably is actually a bit smaller, but has got the length, has got the explosive power, has got the agility. That's the kind of player that I would be. I think that they'll re-sign Fluka. I think Sweezy may be a little bit more of a question mark. I think he'll still be back. 
Uh, but I think if they're going to go for an offensive lineman early to to plug in there, it'd probably be someone like Lindstrom. I think if there was, if you were, if we were a year on and Jermaine Fetty was a free agent and was expected to leave, and if George Fant wasn't going to take over from him, I'd be talking up Caleb McGarry a lot because I just, although he's got the shorter arms and maybe shorter than they would hope for, I think his attitude, his personality, his his great ability to 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 run block and, and set the tone as a right tackle would be massively appealing. Um, I just wonder if maybe it's a year too soon to be sort of doing that with your first pick and it would have to be their first pick, I think, with Caleb McGarry because he's, he's that good and he warrants a, a place in the top 40. Well, let's move on to running backs who also did their drills on Friday. And one of the guys that everybody's talking about coming out of uh, in terms of testing is Justice Hill with his four four forty and uh, impressive in the the broad jump and the vertical as well. Yeah, and he's he is an explosive player. It's not a big surprise that he he's tested as well as he did. He's fun to watch, and I think a team that likes that kind of running back, a bit smaller, explosive, physical, can do a bit of everything. I think he's going to end up probably getting a decent player probably on day three. I would imagine that he's going to go there. Um, the Seahawks, from the Seahawks' point of view, I don't think that he's, he's not sort of fits. Doesn't fit into what they they really go for at the position. They love explosive traits. They'll like that about him, but they also like a certain side, and it's kind of like that five ten to six foot, two fifteen to two twenty five type of size to go with the explosive traits. So I'm not sure he's going to be an option for the Seahawks, but he's been a fun player to watch at Oklahoma State. Has been a you know whenever they were playing, you watch him, you'd always sort of keep an eye on him. He, he's been destined. Um, to be someone that has been highlighted in the draft for a few years. Don't think he had the best season last year and maybe sort of his stock has dipped as a consequence, but um, good player and, and a really impressive session today. So who were those running backs that really fit into that Seahawks profile that came out of today? Only four names to talk about. Damian Harris at Alabama, not a surprise there. Had a 5'10", 216 pounds, 37-inch vertical, 10-1 broad jump. Great pass protector, uh, do it all kind of running back. Uh, didn't have the best season in 2018. Was was a bit of a letdown there, but that could mean that he's available in a, in a, in a more uh, amenable range and could be someone that, that teams, not just the Seahawks, but others really look for, maybe from round three onwards. Uh, Alexander Matteson at Boys State, physical, tough, really fun to watch. I'd certainly recommend anybody checking him out. 5'10", 221 pounds, 35-inch vertical, 10'7", broad, a player to keep on the radar on day three. LJ Scott at Michigan State had a very, very underwhelming college career, but he's he's in the ballpark with 6'0", 227, 33-inch vertical, 10'0", broad, but on the, on the lower scale of what they might be looking at. And then you've got Alex Barnes, 6'4", 226 pounds, 38.5-inch vertical, 10'6", broad, not a player that I've studied, will definitely be a player that I study after this combine. That really stood out uh, and is one of only four names that look like a Seahawks running back. Somebody that we have to go and, and check out, I think, after this combine. But only four names. It's down. Last year, there were eight names. Um, in previous years, we've been able to identify four in 2017 and two in 2016. They've always drafted at least one player from the group that we've identified. And if they draft a running back this year... It's probably going to be one of the four names that we just mentioned or two others who didn't work out. Rodney Anderson from Oklahoma. Love him. Very explosive. Seahawks size. Didn't work out today because of his injury. Still recovering from that. And Josh Jacobs at Alabama is expected to be the first running back drafted. He also didn't work out today, but has got the size and is expected to have an explosive testing session. There's one guy that came up six inches short in, in both of those measurements that you like to look at. And, and a guy that I thought might make that list was uh, Reichwell Armstead at a temple. 
Yeah, real shame that because he had a good start and, and ran, a, I think, a four four six forty. Looked really good. It's got the size. But he's not quite as explosive. Now, the thing with Rykwell is that he's had injury issues. And if he was available as a, a free agent, for example, as an undrafted free agent, or is even a seventh-round pick, I think you have to have a look at him because there's a lot of things to like about him on tape. Love his running style. And, you know, just because we've we've picked up on a trend that the Seahawks like these certain types of players, it doesn't mean that they're ever going to deviate from that. They have done that in the past. Kenny Lawler, for example, was a player who didn't match any of their speed preferences or size preferences at wide receiver. And yet they took him in the seventh round because he was a good football player. So if Reichel Armstead's around there, round six, round seven, and they, they think, yeah, do you know what? The value is good there. We'll bring him in. I think that'd be a great pick. It's just whether or not he's going to be available in that range. But I, I loved watching him at Temple. He's Temple off he had a great senior ball and um it was just a shame that he wasn't quite as explosive as as maybe he we hoped he would have been but he got the size and he certainly got speed yeah i was definitely looking for guys under the radar type guys that they could go for in round six round seven i don't think they'll be taking uh, anybody necessarily early on in the draft considering they do have penny and carson mm. but uh, i guess one of those guys that would be intriguing if he's still around in round three would uh, another guy that seemed to be performing well today and a lot of people are talking about was miles sanders out of penn state yeah he he had a good session i think it was like a four five oh um very quick I think that he was he was impressive. I think that um, I'm, I'm trying to dig out his size here to sort of just sort of have a look and and see how he fits into things. But he he was sharp. He was he was good. I think the other the guy that really impressed today was Jordan Scarlett. I thought that he looked like an incredible athlete. He's not quite as uh, as big as the Seahawks would like at 208 and 510 and a bit. Ran a 447, which is really good. And, and it just looked really well put together. He's not a player that I've studied. Um, Daniel Jeremiah and, and Morris Jones-Drew were saying he's really tough and really physical. Um, will smack you in the face. And, and, and I think that he's somebody that I will go and have a look at anyway, just because, again, we're talking later round. They might sort of bring him in as an undrafted guy or as a later round pick. And I think the other player that I really want to highlight here is Alec Ingold, who apparently they've met with, who is a, is a classic old school fullback, which is something the Seahawks need. You know, they, they're a team that likes to feature the fullback. They haven't had a fullback who they can really reliably trust for quite some time. And I think they'd be very open. I mean, they have drafted a fullback in the past in, in day three. I think they'd be very interested in bringing in a fullback uh, this year. Now, the thing about Alec Ingold is that he can, he's got some special teams value. So he wouldn't just be a pure fullback who's going to play a limited number of snaps, taking up a spot on the roster. He could be a special teams guy. He's six foot, 242 pounds, delivered a, an enormous crackback block in the, in the senior bowl, which had John Gruden actually coming onto the field to give him a high five. He found it that enjoyable. <laughs> um, he's, he's just tough and physical. You know, he's not a great athlete in terms of speed with a four nine forty. But he, he actually had a 34-inch vertical, which is explosive. And he's exactly the type of player that you could imagine the Seahawks going for to add that much-needed fullback, to add another dimension uh, to their running attack. And, and maybe he's somebody that they could draft possibly around 5-6-7 on day three to fill that need. Well, I'm wondering where, where Sanders came up a little short then, because he is 5'11", uh, 211 pounds. So is that a little bit short of their requirements? But he had a 36-inch vertical and a 124 inches on the broad jump. Yeah, I'm just digging this out. I'm, I'm not sure. I will, I will go back and have another check on this. But he's, uh, in terms of the size, he's maybe just a little light, 211. Yeah. But then if he has a pro day, gets up a little bit more, you know, closer to that sort of 215 mark, 220, then, then perhaps. But I'll, I'll go and have another look at that one because the vertical certainly matches up. 
broad jump. I'm not sure what uh, 124 translates to. I can maybe just have a quick look here. Um, I think well, it I think is that's about, 10 feet. 10 feet, 4 inches? Yes, yeah, so that, that wouldn't be too bad. So maybe he's a name as well to just sort of keep on the back of your mind. Um, I'll go and have a and firm up all the numbers and maybe add him to the list as a maybe. You know, Rob, while we're talking about uh, guys and their weight, uh, were you interested at all to see uh, where um, Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray came in? Yeah, Kyler Murray, I think he weighed kind of what people what people well, I said surprise, but it's kind of what I expected. I mean, he he was listed at about five ten. He is five ten. Um, I, I've heard all this stuff about, well, you know, Russell Wilson was a lot more well-built than Kyler Murray. He was a lot slighter in the frame. But I, and, uh, look, he isn't Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is a sturdy guy. Um, but to look at Kyler Murray, and if, if you look at his frame, he's certainly not a, a dinky little guy, you know, with, with no muscle. I mean, he was a, he was a thick-set guy. And actually, he weighs a similar weight to, to Russell um, when he did the yeah, measurement, came in just a few pounds more than Russell did uh, during his combine. Yeah, and, and I think Russell, look, Russell had the potential to carry more weight and has added a little bit more weight since then as a pro, and it's helped him. I don't know whether Kyler Murray's actually got that ability to do that, but I don't think it matters because I think he's probably a four-three runner. I think he'll probably end up playing at one ninety-five. I've got no issue with his size. Uh, his hand size was fine. I, you know, it was very interesting that they had Sean Nine and Payton. Nine and a half was his, was his hand size is what he came in as. Yeah, and, and Sean Payton was in the booth and the, and the NFL Network today and was pretty candid about how much he liked him and, and was, was almost like gushing in his praise. Now, the, the Saints aren't going to be able to get, it, get up and draft him. And that's probably why Payton felt that comfortable saying that because they don't have a first-round pick. They're going to pick at the end of round two as their first selection. Um, but I, I think the league will love this guy. There's, there's been a few reports today um, suggesting that the league feels that he will go number one overall. I wrote a piece a few, uh, probably like about two or three months ago now, saying the Cardinals should seriously consider taking Kyler Murray with the first pick just because I think he's a much better player than Josh Rosen. I think that he has got that Patrick Mahomes talent um, and that's not just saying that because Mahomes is new and he's fresh and he just won the MVP in his first year as a starter. There's legitimate comparisons between the two. They have a very similar uh, playing style, um, except that Kyler Murray is a 4-3 runner and Patrick Mahomes is, is a bit more of an orthodox-looking guy in terms of his, his height and his weight. Uh, but I think Kyler Murray is the best player in the draft, and I would not be surprised at all if, if the Cardinals view it that way and think, hey, look, we've got the first pick. We haven't had the first pick in, in a number of years. It's like 30 years or something. Let's take the best player and, and just let these two guys, these two quarterbacks, find it out as we try and find the guy because they certainly need to find the guy because they left it too late after Carson Palmer departed to, to go down that road and they've ended up being the worst team in football as a consequence. Well, I hope they stick with the quarterback that they have right now and uh, trade out of that spot and then uh, we don't have to worry about facing Kyler Murray. That that I would go along with that. Um, <laughs> either that or trade the pick and, and let someone in the AFC have him because he is a really dynamic, fun player. And uh, yeah, I would, would not want to face him twice a year. Well, you mentioned earlier the Seahawks may have met with Ingold, uh, another player that they apparently met with, or Austin Davis, the the new offensive assistant, met with uh, during the combine is Jake Browning, Washington's uh, quarterback. Yeah, and with Jake, you know, he's he's going to end up getting a camp somewhere. I don't think he's going to get drafted. Um, I think he's actually going to probably have a better testing session tomorrow than many people realize. He's actually quite a fast runner when he's had to scramble and make some plays. I, I think he had a uh, – I'm trying to remember where it was. There was, a, there was a game where it might have even been the Rose Bowl where he actually sprinted away from – 
one of Ohio State's more athletic offensive linemen and, and outran him to the sort of sideline to get a nice gain on the ground. So I think he's probably going to run pretty well. Um, he hasn't got the arm strength, obviously, and had such an inconsistent career at Washington that it, it's hard to imagine him as a pro quarterback. But as a prospective camp body who competes to be a backup, wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks and other teams look at him and think, hey, look, we'll give this guy a shot. Quarterbacks coming up on Saturday, along with wide receivers and tight ends. And Rob will be looking forward to talking about those positions tomorrow. Very much so. And uh, there's some interesting names. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on Will Greer um, from the wide receivers. There's some really good tight ends, some really good blocking tight ends that we can talk about as well um, that I think the Seahawks could well be interested in. And with the receiver group, I think the headline's probably going to be DK Metcalf's workout, but decent group of receivers. Let's see the ones who are running the 4-4s. That's what the Seahawks look for, like 4-4 runners, whether they're big or small receivers. So let's see who can can run there and sprint and show some downfield ability, uh, which is what the Seahawks like with their explosive passing game. Well, Metcalf already making headlines with his reported body fat percentage being under 2. Under 2? That is incredible. You know, there's a, yeah, <laughs> I didn't I, even I, know that's, that, that's possible Like uh, in, in terms of health. I think the only way it's possible is if you have like freaky genes and and are just naturally unbelievably athletic. I don't think you know your your, your normal guys such as myself could ever get. Down, I don't think even getting down to sort of like eight percent is possible. So um, he's obviously a very gifted natural athlete, and uh, he does look like he's auditioning for one of the Marvel films at the moment. Um, hopefully, <laughs> it's not going to trouble him too much when he runs a forty tomorrow. Yeah, I think Daniel Jeremiah said it on the broadcast that he had, uh, uh, oh, how did he put it? It was something about having a Batman suit, like just uh, as part of his normal build. Well, I think one thing's for sure, when he, whenever his NFL career finishes there, that he will have a, a possibility to become some kind of superhero action star or go to the WWE. I think one or the other will be waiting for him. Well, Rob, appreciate you jumping on and uh, talking day one of the Combine. Look forward to chatting with you again tomorrow. Can't wait. Can't wait.